Hello, you're listening to Goodness Gracious Grief. I'm Katie Brain, and today my guest is a mummy who is on a mission. In 2018, Michelle Lee faced every mother's worst nightmare. She lost her son. Ollie was 16 years old, and he decided to take his own life. In 2019, Michelle founded the Ollie Lee Trust to help raise awareness around teenage suicide prevention. And to date, they have raised over £120,000. Here is Michelle's story. Ollie was my, well, to me, he still is. I don't like to use the word was. Um, He's my son, 16 years old. He'll always be 16. He was this highly academic young man who had the biggest heart in the world, full of love, would do absolutely for anything for anyone, very charitable, worked on charities whenever he was called, never actually told anybody he worked for charities because he never felt he needed to tell people everything that he did. He he was smart, funny, clever, the best friend to everybody, just this gorgeous boy, very wholesome, but the last couple of years, I'd say he was very troubled. Obviously, it must be hard looking back now, but in that moment, in that moment of time, did you notice anything different about him? Yes, his behaviour was very different. Um, his friendship groups became very different. He, um, he, was, he, was, he was ganged up on, I'd like to say, by a group of people at one particular school he was at. And he he made himself a complete and absolute nuisance at that school to actually be expelled so that he didn't have to be with his peers around him. And, um, you know, he he wasn't a good boy. I'd be really honest. I wasn't very impressed with the way he behaved. It was not the way I brought him up. But it was his way of trying to get out of a situation he didn't wish to be in or be around. And so I did move him to a different school, which was probably my biggest mistake because it was a school I didn't wish him to be going to, but he wanted to go there. And um, subsequently, he was actually bullied by the teachers from being there. Um, I think he came with a bad name, and I think they took that when he turned up and didn't actually give him an opportunity to show them who he really was. That's heartbreaking in it yeah. in itself because I mean there's a picture of him on on your website and he's a very handsome young man I must Thank say you. and you know he sound he the way you described him he sounds absolutely wonderful but it's just you know getting involved with the wrong people and having to go through being bullied at such a young age that's that's not nice. For, for anyone, you know, if, whether it's just names in in the the schoolyard, but to actually be bullied to a point where you don't want to be somewhere, that's unforgivable. Yes, I mean, it really is. I mean, it's it's. Listen, what what I have to say to myself as as an adult is that these children were fourteen, fifteen when it happened, and. Growing up now, they look back on it and they think, oh, my God, did we really behave in that manner? But unfortunately for me, I will always see these children as the 14, 15-year-olds who upset my son in such a horrible way. And it's it's quite 
laughable in some of the ways that they upset him. So Oliver was absolutely petrified of bananas, which sounds completely laughable, but he actually felt like a banana with ants crawling all over him. It's the only way I can explain it. So one boy rubbed a banana all over his jumper and he knew that would absolutely traumatise Oliver. So it was, it's a very petty way of bullying someone, but it's finding their weak point. So it's not actually giving them a push or a shove. It's nothing physical. It's not, necessary, it's not even name calling, but it's finding that person's weakest point and actually using that against them. So bullying comes in all different shapes and sizes. So he moved, you moved him school. You then said, obviously, the the teachers, he had a bad name for himself. He didn't get on there. What happened next? He he got in with the wrong, I'd like to say he got in with the wrong group of people. He really did. Unfortunately, um, there was a massive drug problem in the UK. There's an, a massive dance problem in the UK where kids go off to... Um, places in the middle of nowhere and they go dancing in the middle of the night and you don't know where they are and you know he just got in with the wrong kind of group of people because he he just was in a very dark place but at the same time still doing charity work and still playing rugby for his team and still representing his country playing futsal and he wasn't necessarily doing all the bad things when he was at these places but he was attending them with people and he it wasn't where I wanted him to be. I had no control. You know, you give your children control on a Saturday night to go out, but you don't really know where they are. You can't put a little ankle strap around them or follow them around everywhere. Um, we have to trust them to a degree. And I just feel that he he was younger than the people he was hanging out with, and I don't think they guided him necessarily in the right direction. Do you think he was just a bit lost and kind of searching, you know, for a way back out? Because everything before, beforehand, sounded amazing. It sounded like he was on the right track, that you brought him up well. Do you think he just, you know, fell into this spiral and was... He was, yes. He was a little boy lost. And I used to say to him, just get through this moment and you'll be okay. I mean... Everybody knows this. My Ollie could have been the prime minister. He was so into politics. He knew everything that was going on. He could talk about bitcoins. He could talk about something that was going on. He he would have actually cleared up the whole Brexit problem if he was here personally on his own. He would have written the bill. He, He actually knew everything about everything in life. He was so knowledgeable. But he for one for he was his maturity he was also very immature because he was so lost and he didn't know how to express his feelings and climb back out of where he actually was in in this dark place that he actually found himself in now i don't want you to have to go into detail about what happened but obviously ollie he did decide to take his own life can you just talk me through you know the next day of what what happened? How were you feeling? Were you what emotions were coming through? Well, I went to work that morning. It was a Tuesday morning, the first of May, and I went to work. And I always used to go to work before my children got out of bed, so I didn't think anything different. I just thought the boys were in bed, and that was it. 
Ollie was at home because he was doing his GCSE, so he was meant to be at home studying. And Scott Miles, his son, he could walk to school. Actually, he was driving. He could drive to school. Um, And he was doing his A-levels, first year A-levels. So I didn't think anything of where the boys were at that time. And then I never answered my phone at work because I'm at work. But I don't know why the phone rang and it was an unknown number and I thought, oh, I'd better take this. And it was a police officer telling me that they had a phone and it belonged to one of my children, um, but they didn't know the phone number. So I said, well, I don't know whose phone it is if you haven't got a phone number. So they said, we'll call you back. So they called me back and I suggest I know whose phone that is. And I said, well, I I then went on to look where it was because I could trace the phone and they told me, I said, oh, it's in Baker Street. And they said, yes, it's at the police in Baker Street. And I thought, oh, what's going on? And they wouldn't tell me over the phone. They wanted to come and see me at work. And I said, no, you can't come to my office. I've only been here six weeks. I don't want anyone really thinking what's going on in my world. And they told me that they had a body and it needed to be identified. But they didn't know if it was my son or not. And so that's when I knew. I knew it was him. I think it's a mother's instinct that you just know the minute someone tells you something, what it really is. So I went home and the police came round and my best friend came over to be with me before they turned up. And then in the Jewish religion, you actually just sit there and everyone else seems to take control because within our religion, you have to have the, um, you bury the body while it's still warm, while the soul's still there. And my house was descended upon by young children and um, all of Oliver's friends, all Scott's friends, my parents, my parents' friends, my sister. I mean, absolutely everybody. I must have had about 100 people in my house. That, um, and it was a house of mourning from, from the moment everyone got to find out that Ollie had passed. And within two days, it took, unfortunately, we then had um, what we call a lavoya, which is the the actual burial, um, and then probably was about a thousand people turned up for that. And then what we have after the burial, we have the morning period of a week where we call it sitting shiver, where we say prayers in in the evening and the morning, and we have evening prayers that people attend to. And there probably was a thousand people most nights turning up to see me and say prayers and it goes on for a week but for me it seemed to go on for about six weeks that my house was still full of of mourners and people were mourning more than I was mourning and I felt I had to be in control for these people that were visiting me because he, he was part of the community and we were all at a huge loss he wasn't just my loss he was everyone's loss, and um, he's everyone's Ollie still now today. Everybody still talks about Oliver in in the most glowing way. Thank God, you know he's just a very beautiful young man who will always be remembered in a very beautiful way. When did your grief hit? Because if I look back to when my dad died, it was very sudden, and I I was next to kin, and in my head I had a job to do. I needed to organise a funeral, I had things to do, I had to organise his estate. And I, I can 
honestly say from memory I do not remember crying at his funeral and that might sound awful but I was just on autopilot like I've got to get through this and I don't think it was till you know a couple of weeks later when everything had kind of calmed down you know the visitors had stopped coming that's when the grief hit. I can understand that um Scott and I never cried at the funeral either um it just there was too many people looking at me to actually let go. I didn't want anyone to see me let go. Um, so I think really, honestly, I've only just grieved. I've just, um, I work for a company that I come, I work from home for them. And I just went overseas for four weeks um, back to Israel because now the lockdown's been lifted. And I went there for three and a half weeks and I was working there and I actually... I think I grieved while I was there because that was the last place I knew Ollie being happy. And I needed to get there to remember him being happy. And, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm getting upset thinking about it. And I, I've come time. back. I feel that I'm me when I've come back from being in Israel, that I've come back whole again because... I just, I needed to get away from everyone, even though I love everybody dearly and my partner and my son and my parents and my sister and my brother and everybody. I just needed a moment away from me because Ollie completely belongs to me and I just needed to be nearer to where he was happy last. Gonna make me start crying in a minute. No, don't do that. When, obviously, Ollie was 16, you said he's always going to be 16. When did you decide, right, you know what, I'm going to give Ollie a legacy, I'm going to do something to raise awareness about teenagers, about suicide, about mental health? When when did that decision you know, become a reality? Well, my, my partner, Stephen, he wanted to do it the day after. He was on a mission. Um, and I was like, no, please, let me just have a little breather. So actually, it took us a year, which isn't, which for long people, a lot of people, it's a long time. But for me, it wasn't a long time. Um, so literally, May 2019, we set up the Ollie Lee Trust, which we decided to set it up as a suicide prevention fundraising charity where we would grant to different charities around the country that can actually deliver the training for free. So we would pay for the free training for anyone, whatever religion they come from. Um, we do, do not discriminate in any shape or form because suicide does not discriminate. It can, it can affect everybody or anybody. And um, that, that's what we decided to do in 2019, set this charity up. Um, and actually, it's my therapy. It, it makes me feel good being able to give back something to someone else. Because whether it takes five years, six years, seven years, and we save one or two lives, that's, that's just one or two lives that we've managed to save through our training um, and that's all that matters to me, that someone else doesn't go through what we're going through. I can relate to what you're doing, and I'm sure many other people who are listening relate to obviously turning your grief into something productive. You just, I think once you've been through something like that, uh, you just want to help other people not to have to go through the same thing 
as you and what you're doing through the Ollie Lee Trust is is fantastic. And you've actually got it's going to be the fourth year anniversary, isn't it? This this Sunday, and you're doing something for that. Yes. So it, unfortunately, it's four years this Sunday, and um, orange was Oliver's favourite colour. So we've turned orange into um, a new symbol for suicide prevention within our charity. So on the 1st of May this year, we're asking everyone and anyone who sees something, snap it and share it to our Instagram site, which is on the Ollie Lee Trust. Uh, sorry, Orange for Ollie. Um, and basically post anything that you see with the colour orange in it. Orange is a really good, fun colour. It makes you feel happy. Um, you don't have to wear it. You just have to see it. I've, I've, been, I've been walking around snapping pictures of orange shower bottles or orange wine bottles or a, a showroom in Mill Hill has got a kitchen showroom which has got some orange display, an orange display at the moment. So I've been snapping at the orange display. So wherever you see orange, just snap it, share it and donate to our Just Giving page as well, please, which will be great because last year we raised just over £11,000 in 24 hours. Um, and this year we'd really like to smash that target. So Just Giving page is Orange for Ollie 22. And that'd be just amazing if you could just support us in any any value of money it would be great. Thank you. What do you think Ollie would say to you now if he saw everything that you're doing for him? I think, oh, mum, what are you doing? No, he would... He... I think he'd be really proud because I've always brought my children up to be charitable. Since the age of five, they were, they've, they've been fundraising or supporting me in any charity events that I've been doing. Um, so he'd be really, really proud. I mean, he's climbed, um, climbed Snowden. He's done um, triathlons. He's done bike rides. He's, he's done so many different charitable events that he wouldn't be surprised that actually I've ended up forming a charity for a really, really good cause to help other people. And I like how you describe yourself as a, a mummy on a mission, which you certainly are. What would you say, though, to other mums who have been recently bereaved, who are kind of struggling to, to see a light at the minute? What advice would you, would you give to them? Do it in your own time. Just do it in your own time because no one knows you. And... There will be, you know, we're all on a roller coaster. We're all on the up and the down and we're going to have good days. We're going to have bad days. But take your moments and just do it in your own time. That was Michelle Lee from the Ollie Lee Trust. As you just heard, Ollie was 16 when he took his own life. And this Sunday, the 1st of May, is the fourth anniversary of Ollie's passing. And to remember him, they will be raising money through their annual fundraiser to go towards the necessary training for suicide prevention. If you want to know how you can get involved, it's very simple. All you need to do is use the hashtag OrangeForOllie. Why? Because orange was Ollie's favourite colour. And in his memory, the family are asking that if you see something orange, to just take a picture, post it on your social media on Instagram with the hashtag orange for ollie and once you've done that tag three friends 
To find out more information about the Ollie Lee Trust, go to www.theollieleetrust.org. Ollie is spelled O-L-I. So that's the theollieleetrust.org. And if you have been affected by anything that we've talked about today, there is always someone to speak to at the Samaritans. You can call them for free on 116123. That's 116123. Or if you would prefer to have a text conversation, you can contact the Shout Volunteers. They're on 85258. That's the Shout Volunteers on 85258. I'm Katie Brain. Thank you for listening to Goodness Gracious Grief.